Section twenty three of the Jolly Parisienne and Other Novelettes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Indu Nair. Margot's Gallant by Emile Zola. Translated by George D. Cox. Chapter 3 Tasting the Drink. During that night, there came a complete change in the weather, and Coqueville awoke the next morning to a bright sun a sea as smooth as a huge piece of green satin and a warm autumn day la queue was the first one to rise his head still full of the dreams of the night for a long time he gazed at the sea in all directions and at last he said with a grumble that after all monsieur mouchel's wants must be satisfied then he set off with Chupin and Brismont, threatening Margot before he went that he would give her a thrashing if she didn't keep straight. However, when the Zephyr left the harbor and he saw the baleine still swinging at anchor, he became a little better tempered and cried, Hot today, we've got the start as soon as the zephyr was well out to sea la queue dropped his nets overboard and then went to visit his baskets used especially to catch lobsters but despite the calm sea he found every one empty except the last at the bottom of which there was a tiny mackerel which he threw back into the sea in a passion it was a regular fate there were weeks like that when every fish seemed to be avoiding coqueville and it was always those very weeks that monsieur mouchel wanted all that could be caught la queue swore roundly when an hour later he pulled up his nets and found they contained nothing but a bundle of seaweeds and his anger was all the greater since the ocean was perfectly smooth and calm and lay under the blue sky like a sheet of burnished silver the zephyr glided so smoothly over the water that it hardly seemed to be moving at all and la queue finally decided to go back after once more setting his baskets he would visit them again in the afternoon and in awful oaths he threatened to revenge himself on the divinity and all the saints if he found them empty Rouget, Fouas, and Delphin were still asleep, and no one was able to arouse them until just before the midday meal. They could remember nothing, being merely conscious that they had regaled themselves with something strange, with which they had previously been totally unacquainted. That afternoon, as they were all three standing near the harbour, having regained their senses the emperor tried to question them well perhaps 
It was like brandy with licorice juice in it, or rather, it was more like sugared rum with a burnt flavor about it. They said yes and no, and from their answers the emperor suspected that it was ratafia, but he would not have sworn to it. Rouget and his men were all too tired and dazed that day to go fishing. Besides, they knew that La Queue had not caught anything in the morning, and they talked of waiting till the following day before visiting their lobster traps. They were all three sitting on the rocks, half asleep, when suddenly Delphin jumped to his feet, crying, Look there, governor, over there. What? asked Rouget, stretching his limbs. A barrel. The words were hardly out of his mouth before Rouget and Fouaz were on their feet, eagerly scanning the horizon. Where is it, lad? Where is the barrel? asked Rouget excitedly. Over there, to the left, that black spot. At first, the others could see nothing. Then Rouget muttered an oath. Curse it all! By an oblique ray of the setting sun, he had just seen the barrel, which looked about the size of a bean on the white water, and he at once ran to the baleine, followed by Delphin and Fouaz, who rushed along as fast as their legs would carry them. The baleine was just leaving the harbour when the news that there was a barrel in sight spread through Coqueville. Men, women, and children ran down to the beach, crying, A barrel! A barrel! Can you see it? Is the current carrying it to Grandport? Oh, yes! There it is, to the left! Come along! There's a barrel in sight! And Coqueville hastened down from its rock, the children turning cotwheels on the way, while the women gathered up their petticoats in both hands to get along as quickly as possible soon as on the preceding evening the whole village was on the beach margot had come out for a moment and had then hastened back to the house to tell the news to her father who was arguing with the emperor about some municipal matters and at last laquier appeared upon the scene white with passion shut up will you he exclaimed to the constable rouget sent you to me to keep me out of the way but you'll see he won't get the cask this time when he saw the baleine three hundred yards out to sea rowing as hard as it could go towards the black speck in the distance his rage increased and pushing tupin and prismote into the zephyr he in his turn left the harbour repeating no they shan't have it i'll go to the bottom first then coqueville had the pleasure of seeing an exciting race between the baleine and the zephyr when the former saw the other boat put out from the harbour she understood the danger and made off as quickly as she could go she may have been about four hundred yards ahead but the chances were equal for the zephyr was the lighter and the quicker craft and thus the excitement on the beach was at its height. The Mahes and the Floches had instinctively formed into two groups, each member supporting his particular party's boat, 
as they all eagerly watched the struggle at first the baleine kept her advantage but it was soon seen that the zephyr was gradually gaining upon her then she made a supreme effort and succeeded for some minutes in again increasing the distance between her adversary and herself but again this distance was diminished and the zephyr drew up to her with marvellous rapidity from that moment it became clear that the two boats would meet just as they both reached the barrel the victory would depend on an accident on the slightest mistake the baleine wins the baleine wins cried the mahes but suddenly their cries ceased the baleine was almost touching the barrel when the zephyr by a bold manoeuvre succeeded in passing before her and in throwing the barrel to the left where la queue harpooned it with a boat hook hurray for the zephyr screamed the floches the emperor said something about cheating while margot clapped her hands and harsh words were exchanged but the abbe Ratiguet, who had come down to the beach breviary in hand suddenly quieted his parishioners throwing them all into a state of consternation by a profound remark perhaps they'll drink it all up like the others did he said with a melancholy look on the sea a violent quarrel was raging between the baleine and the zephyr rouget stigmatized la queue as a thief and the latter retorted by calling the master of the baleine a scoundrel the men even took up their oars to strike at one another and the adventure was within an ace of becoming a naval combat however they contented themselves with shaking their fists and oars at one another and threatening to knock all the breath out of each other's body the first time they met on land the rogue muttered rouget that cask's bigger than the one we caught yesterday and it's painted yellow there must be some capital stuff inside then he went on despondingly let's go and look at the traps perhaps we shall find some lobsters in them then the baleine went slowly off towards the little promontory on the left on board the zephyr la queue had to use all his authority to keep dupin and Prismode from the barrel the boat-hook had broken one of the hoops and a red liquid was oozing out which the two men licked off the tips of their fingers and thought delicious one glass wouldn't make much difference surely but la queue wouldn't hear of it he stood the cask on end and said the first who touched it would have him to deal with he would see about giving them some when they had landed in that case asked tupin bad-temperedly aren't we going to take up the traps yes we will there's no hurry answered la queue he himself was looking longingly at the barrel and he wanted to go back at once to taste its contents he couldn't bother about fishing bah he said after a pause it's getting late 
and we had better go back. We'll come again tomorrow. They had turned round when suddenly he caught sight of another barrel on his right, a tiny one which was floating on end and turning round and round. That settled the question of fishing, and the zephyr gave chase to the little cask, which was easily caught. Meanwhile, a similar thing had happened to the baleine. Rouget had already visited five traps and found them empty when Delphin, always on the alert, cried out that he could see something, but it looked too long to be a barrel. It's a beam of wood, said Fouas. Rouget let his sixth lobster trap drop back again before he had quite lifted it out of the water. Well, we'll go and see what it is at any rate, he said. As they advanced, they thought it a plank, a chest, or the trunk of a tree. Then they uttered a cry of delight. It was a cask, but a cask such as they had never seen before. It looked like a pipe, swollen in the middle, and closed at both ends by a layer of plaster. Oh, isn't it funny, cried Rouget in delight. I want the emperor to taste this one, so let's go in, boys. They all agreed that they would not touch it, and the Belaine returned to Coqueville at the very moment when the Zephyr was anchoring in the harbour. Not one of the inquisitive crowd had left the beach, and this unexpected catch of three barrels was hailed with shouts of joy. Boys threw their caps into the air, and the women ran off to get glasses. It was at once decided to taste the liquors then and there. All wreckage belonged to the whole village, so that no question of proprietorship was raised. But two groups were formed the Mahes surrounding Rouget, and the Floches La Queue. The first glass is for you, Emperor, cried Rouget, and tell us what it is. The fluid was of a bright golden colour, and the constable raised the glass, looked, smelt, and finally decided to drink. That comes from Holland, he said, after a long silence. He added no other information, but all the Mahes drank reverentially. The liquor was rather thick and had a flowery taste, which the women thought very nice, though the men would have liked it better if it had not been so sweet. However, the more they drank of it, the more they liked it, and at the third or fourth glass, the men began to get merry and the women funny. In spite of his recent quarrel with the mayor, the emperor now went and hung round the floches. The larger barrel gave forth a dark red liquid, while from the smaller one there issued a stream as white as spring water, and so strong and hot that it burned the tongue. Not one of the floches knew what either the red or the white liquid was, and yet there were some knowing ones among them. It vexed them not to know the name of what they were enjoying. Here, Emperor, taste that, said Lacqueux at last, thus making the first advance. The Emperor, who was waiting for the invitation, 
again posed as a connoisseur. There is orange in that, he said, when he had tasted the red. The white, he declared, was not up to much. Everyone had to be contented with these answers, for he put on the happy look of a man who has fully satisfied his audience. The Abbe Radiguet was the only person who did not seem convinced. He wanted to know the names. According to his own account, he had the names on the tip of his tongue and could not think of them. To help his memory, he drank several glasses one after the other, saying as he did so, Wait a minute. I know what it is. I shall be able to tell you presently. The two groups were gradually getting very merry. The floches, especially, were very gay, for they were mixing the liquors. Both floches and mahes kept entirely to themselves and their own barrels, merely casting longing glances at each other from time to time as they felt a desire which they would not confess to taste their neighbor's drink, which no doubt was better than their own. The two unfriendly brothers, Chupin and Fouasse, stood side by side all the evening without even shaking their fists at one another, and it was also remarked that Rouget and his wife were drinking out of the same cup. As for Margot, she was serving the drink to the floches, and as she filled the glasses too full, and the liquor ran over on to her hands, she was constantly sucking her fingers, until at last, although she was obeying her father's injunctions not to drink, she became as intoxicated as a woman vintaging. It rather improved her than otherwise, for her face became a rosy pink, and her eyes shone like stars. The sun was setting, but the evening was mild and spring-like. Coqueville had emptied the casks, and yet it was not thinking of going in to dinner. It was so pleasant on the beach. When it was dark, Margot, who was sitting apart from everyone else, felt someone breathing on her neck. It was Delphin, who was very lively, and who was wandering about behind her on all fours like a wolf. She stifled an exclamation so as not to rouse her father, who would have kicked Delphin away if he had seen him. Go away, you idiot, she whispered, half angry, half laughing. You'll be caught. End of section 23